welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 64. In this episode I'm going to be doing a deep dive on the discography of the death metal band Nile. Like uh, many people from the UK I think, my first exposure to this band was back in about 2005-2006 with their music video for Sacrifice Under Sebek, which was played quite a lot on the old uh, music video channel Scuzz, that some of you might remember. And I remember first coming across this band they were so extreme and over the top i had this really weird mixed reaction of finding it simultaneously terrifying and hilarious like i'd never this was the first band i heard do the proper low guttural vocals like at this point in time i was kind of into art genemy and stuff like that but i couldn't do the kind of unclear impossible to understand vocals and even just the intensity of the music was just completely beyond what i was ready for but as with these kind of channels that you see a video a couple of times over over like the first couple of months of hearing it the ending riff from that song started to seep in it's something i was really enjoying and so i started paying more attention and over the course of the year ended up you know absolutely loving nile and being really converted into a fan of their music and for me probably that that was my gateway into more extreme like the more extreme end of death metal particularly but probably the thing that opened the door to finally getting stuff like black metal and grind as well so nile was formed in 1993 by guitarist and vocalist carl sanders in um south carolina he it was formed basically out of the ashes of his previous band, Mariah, who were kind of a, a sort of thrash band who only did one demo. But along from that band, he also brought drummer Peter Marora and uh, bass player and vocalist Chief Spires. So Nile sort of had a slow start, but um, in 1994, they put out their first demo, the self-titled Nile, um, which I think they've since re-released. Yeah, they've re-released it as uh, Worship the Animal in 1994. So this is a really interesting artifact. If you've never, if you were aware of Nile, this might really surprise you, but um, it doesn't sound anything like them. It, uh, I mean, it mainly puts me in mind of To Burn My Eyes era Machine Head. Like, Chief's vocals on it, he Carl doesn't do any of these uh, trademark death metal vocals, he hasn't got to that point in his uh, in his career yet, but uh, Chief's vocals are like Phil Anselmo. Considering it's 1994, it has a really odd, like, kind of thrash meets uh, sort of groove metal meets proto-death metal vibe for it. It's, yeah, it it's an interesting artifact, but just seems completely... Um, unrelated to anything they've been doing since. Like, tracks like Surrounded by Fright are completely in that sort of groove metal camp. But then, like, towards the end of the album, we get the, the nine-minute epic Mecca, which has a few more hints of where Niall's sound will be going. The thing that really is present on this demo, which will, you know, remain a permanent part of the band's sound, is Carl Sanders' lead guitar playing. There is already a hint of the tone and the kind of scales he'll like using later on, and particularly uh, apparent in this track. Overall, though... Honestly, it's a perfectly competent first demo for a band, but otherwise, it's pretty forgettable. I, I would say it's worth going back and giving it a listen for um, 
for the historical kind of context, but it's not something I'd highly recommend. Something that is quite interesting, actually, though, is it has the logo they still use to this day. They're one of those bands who seemingly just got a kick-ass logo just straight out of the gate. Around this time, something really interesting happens. I think Carl had, uh, I've read, he'd been hanging out with the guys from Morbid Angel a lot. I think that was in the early 90s. And possibly that influence of incredibly chaotic technical death metal rubbed off on him. Because with the, the 1995 EP, Festivals of Atonement, we get the true seed of what Nile sound would later be. With the uh, epic opener, Divine Intent, it starts with this kind of um, synth-driven, kind of slightly Egyptian-sounding, folky instrumental interlude, and then into um, an opening riff that is essentially a simplified version of the riff they'd later use in... Um, Sacrifice Under Sebek, the, the riff that got me into Nile. It's, um, this album, or sorry, EP, is a lot slower than most later Nile would be. It's not the, like, true face-melting speed or precision they'd later have, but stuff started happening. Um, for a start, Carl started doing vocals on it, um, and Chief, his vocals have moved away from that kind of cleaner singing into a more harsher sound. You can actually get this and the follow-up demo, Ramsey's Bringer of War, in the Nile in the Beginning collection now, which is another one well worth um, revisiting if you're a fan of, like this, particularly their early material. Ramsey's Bringer of War was a demo they put out uh, a year later, which mainly is just um, free tracks off of... The, their debut album in a slightly kind of raw form. Their debut album was scheduled to uh, come out in 1997, but uh, the label they were signed up to collapsed and ended up not getting picked up to the year later 
but they did get picked up by quite a big label um, in the form of Relapse Records. So I think that's the point where things really come together. So the, the album I'm talking about here is Amongst the Catacombs of Nefren Carr uh, from 1998. So this album's really interesting because it kicks off uh, with Smashing the Anti... I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that last word, but it's a two-minute-long, like, just blast fest of extremely brutal death metal. All the vocals are in the real low end. Everything about it is this absolutely intense assault of, like, fast-paced, punishing death metal. And you're kind of like, you'll be forgiven from this song thinking, okay, this is just a solid... Um, brutal death metal album but there's even hints in this track of just the scales they're using uh those like egyptian themes are coming in there and then with track two bara edinzu we get more brutal death metal but halfway through the song these epic keys come in over the top this kind of like big synth sounds and they continue out through the the second half of the track then we get an instrumental interlude, and then in Serpent Headed Mask, we get more weirdness. We another keyboard passage, this kind of hyper low chanted slash spoken word section. Um, Ramsey's Bringer of War, the track that follows that, has this opening classical, like inspired synth piece, almost like the Imperial March, but then just an absolutely pummeling brutal death metal song but in many ways this you could be forgiven if you're a fan of later Nile when you know with the more classic lineup for not realizing this was Nile it sounds very very different the vocals are so incredibly low there's no real clear stuff in there but it is it is absolutely brutal. It's still one of the most like intense albums I think they've ever put out. It's only half an hour long, but eleven tracks in length. So all these songs are clocking in at about the three minute mark. But they're still they're not simplistic. This isn't like verse chorus stuff. The structures are like really atypical and highly confusing. With this album as well, we get we do get a lot of things that will become staples of their sound. In the track Dyer Ashkrieg lead Dear Ashkrieg, uh, there is this long section of really intense like spoken word stuff, this kind of like kind of mad prophet or preacher character um doing like this huge spiel. I think it's all in I think in German could be totally wrong um over this kind of uh, epic building um like rhythmic groove and like kind of keyboards and stuff it's it's something they'd come back to a lot um the vocalist who does it on this track isn't the one they keep using later on but they do have a recurring guest vocalist who who does these kind of sections and then the album has a song that's like still a fan favorite to this day in the howling of the Jinn, which is just an intense blast fest but with you know, the atypical structure, the interesting chord progressions, that always that hint of ancient Egyptian themes. And that's something I've not really got into yet. Niall, I think Carl Sanders had decided right from the get-go's band, this is true of both the demoers and the debut EP as well, that everything lyrically is based in the realms of ancient Egyptian history and mythology, 
with sprinklings of HP uh, Lovecraft stuff, which has a you know a nice overlap with Egyptian mythology. There's a lot of stuff there about exploring of uh, forgotten tombs. I think the title of this album, I could be wrong, but I believe that's an HP Lovecraft or one of those HP uh, Lovecraft reference to one of those stories. And along with the cover of like the the kind of the dead body of a pharaoh inside the shadow of his kind of um, like death mask over these kind of hieroglyphic type paintings is is a really unique take for remember this is death metal in 1998 as much as traditional death metal is kind of coming to its close for for a period the realms of brutal death metal was kind of finding its feet a lot of a lot of bands who would later become staples of the scene were putting out their early stuff. But those bands so much were focused on the brutal like the brutality of things. There wasn't many doing this kind of exploration of lyrics that aren't entirely gore or, you know, other forms of extremely aggressive stuff. There's aggressive stuff in here. I mean the lyrics for Trap that Ramsey's Bring of the War are incredibly brutal. It's it's but it's like always underpinned by that sort of historical significance. A real highlight of this album for me is the closing track, uh, Beneath the Eternal Oceans of Sand. It's just uh, the right mixture of both the elements this album's been displaying, of the the kind of instrumental atmospheric sections, and then catchy but extremely brutal music. Uh, as a whole, this album is really, really solid. It sounds nothing like anything Nile would ever do again, and sadly these days he's kind of long forgotten when choosing their set lists, but, you know, they've got nine albums now. I can understand kind of moving away from the first one, especially a first one that didn't contain any of your current or even later members. But yeah, it's a really strong debut, and you can kind of see why they got as big as they did. Like, I think Relapse, um, around the time this came out, put them on tour with bands like Morbid Angel, and you can imagine, like, a band turning up playing this kind of thing to Morbid Angel's audience would definitely make a lot of lifelong fans from that.
So the year 2000 brings some changes to the band. Drummer Peter Mura has to leave uh, due to injuries sustained on the previous tour. Uh, it seems harmonious, though. He provides drums for the slowest track on the 2000 album, Black Seas of Vengeance, and backing vocals. But for that album, Black Seas of Vengeance, they recruited guest drummer Derek Roddy to to do the album. He never joined as a full-time member. But this is where they got their real X factor, where the band really became the legendary force they now are, of picking up guitarist and vocalist Dallas Toller Wade, who added a, another level of technicality into the guitar playing. He was someone who could keep up with Carl's intensely complex, like ludicrously fast riffing, ridiculous solos. Like He was able to bring all that while bringing vocals as well, and his vocals were in a much higher register than Carl's, much clearer than both Carl and Chief's vocals. So at this point, we have we have a band with the three vocalists, which, again, this, this is the core of Niall from now on. They would always have three vocalists playing guitar, guitar and bass, and then a drummer. Uh, the album Black Siege of Vengeance is just an absolute classic. It features so much of what would go on to be Nile sound and still has tracks that are some of their best despite you know the earliness of this the album opens uh, with the invocation of the gate of at ank sn amti like a 43 second instrumental on a traditional middle eastern instrument then we get the monumental black seeds of vengeance and absolutely like shredding impossible to follow start um with his brilliant guitar and drum work throughout gives way then to this this epic ending of this you know almost sing-along chant of black seeds of vengeance this song you know is a staple closer of nile sets to this day i've seen nile more times than I can count, and they always end with this song and bring on like a band they're touring with to do the vocals for the big Black Seeds of Vengeance chant. Like, I think one of my favorite times seeing it was having uh, Behemoth unmasked at Hellfest doing it, or the lineup of Suffocation doing it. It's just, it's always really fun and like this great kind of coming together of the bands they're playing with. But yeah, the album continues very much in that vein of just. As chaotic and intense as the previous album, but with better layering of the Middle Eastern folk influences. Uh, track 3, Defiling the Gates of Ishtar, is a personal favourite from this album. More incredibly intense opening into interesting, expansive ending with some really nice lead guitar work from Carl Sanders. At this point in their career, both like Carl and Dallas's, I believe Dallas does a lot of solos on this album as well, um, their solos are incredibly chaotic, really hard to follow. Um, Carl particularly uses this technique of doing these massive bends, like bending through a whole swathe of notes to make this really sort of intense sound rather than using like you know the the Kerry King style like whammy bar dive bomb it just does these huge bends to get that effect of really chaotic hard to follow uh later in their career some of the solos would get more melodic but at this point in time the only real melodic elements to their sound are the sort of in middle eastern influence instrumentals um 
Dallas's vocals really shine on this album. Although you can tell both Carl and Dallas are sort of finding their feet on what they're doing, Dallas gives this kind of real anchoring where you can start hearing more of the lyrics, like particularly, you know, like the, the sort of repeating of the song titles like Defile Vishtar or, you know, the Black Seeds of Vengeance chant. They become clear, so there's a bit more of a hook, despite the extreme intensity of this music. Carl's vocals have hit this just disgusting low. They have this really... I always found his vocals have this really odd quality of like this almost like brittle sound. It's it, yeah. It, it feels like he's pushing out a lot of um, a lot of air from his lungs when doing each of them. But they're so incredibly low. And if you've heard Carl's speaking voice, this is not um, not like anything like he's got a kind of very mid range speaking voice. So where this this other sound is coming from i don't know we get some stuff they'll start doing a lot more of as well where track five has the first of niall's stupidly long song titles so for a one minute 30 instrumental uh it's titled libation unto the shadows who lurk in the shadow uh, shadows shadows of the temple of anher and that, again, is something we keep seeing. There's there's quite a few instrumentals on this album. And it's something Nile would do for pretty much the rest of their career, barring one album, where they would sprinkle a few instrumentals throughout the lineup, but un- uh, throughout the, the song listing. But unlike a lot of bands, they make use of these perfectly. They feel like totally logical breaks in the music the way these tracks flow together is seamless and it yeah there's nothing odd about the placement of these they just add to the atmosphere we get the album continues very much on in the vein of the earlier stuff tracks like masturbating the war god or multiple of foes very much more of kind of in the vein of the first album but just a bit more dynamic a bit more polished I mean, the overall production of this album is still pretty rough around the edges. I think we're still at a point where they haven't quite worked out how to make the guitars clear with the intensity of the drumming. Like, Derek's drumming is just, you know, properly next level for this point in time. And, you know, there is a lot going on. But these songs still remain kind of penetrable and, and catchy. There's a really interesting moment in this album right towards the end. The, uh, the track... Dream of Ur, which is the first time they've sort of experimented on Studio Arm at least, were doing a really long song, so this track's like nine minutes. And it kind of sounds like nothing else they've ever done before or since. It's this really slow-burning, atmospheric track with... It's entirely led by a guest vocalist who does this almost like kind of black metal inspired vocal where it's like halfway between a scream and kind of a speech and this long kind of screed about the kind of futility of existence the fact nothing lasts forever everything will eventually be dust and it starts kind of gentle with a really ominous atmosphere and then builds up into these massive chords with like a really nice bit of lead guitar over it and like an epic swell of like horns it's like this nine minutes of this brilliant build-up with this big chorus where the death metal vocals come back in and replace the the guest vocalist absolutely amazing track 
Now, my biggest criticism of the album is basically that it doesn't end here. Dream of Earth is the 10th track on the album. You know, we're already 35 minutes into the runtime. Would be a perfect close. But then for same, some reason, we get two follow-up tracks with The Nameless City of the Accursed, which is a fairly forgettable instrumental. Then Keti Safer Semush, which is just a, like a three-minute-long kind of chant with multiple death metal vocalists doing it. Uh, Ross Doland of uh, Immolation is also on this song. But both these songs are kind of, they're kind of fun, but the album's reached its climax just before that, so they always felt a bit unnecessary. We get the first time as well with this lyric booklet and why this is an album like almost essential to pick up the CD or vinyl version of. Uh, Carl says in the liner notes, he, with the previous album, because, as I mentioned, they were a, a death metal band talking about a lot of interesting themes less explored in death metal, he got a lot of letters from people asking, oh, can you explain where this idea came from? So the second half of the lyric book is a short paragraph explaining the concept between each song. You like, Explaining Black Seed's vengeance is about um, this kind of tr this this race that were at war with the Egyptians and would regularly, brutally murder people they could kidnap or distract. Um, and again, they're more playing into the themes of absolutely brutal, but historically relevant. Masturbating the war god, uh, I won't explain, but it is truly upsetting. And that's... That's perfect for the intensity of song that is, and like you know the whole vocal delivery. This is this is scary, intense music. But finding that historical underpinning for it makes it not just gratuitous. It's it's yeah, really interesting. And for a band who, for the a large part, I can't understand their lyrics. I will always make the effort to sit down with their lyric book, read the lyrics, read the song explanations because they're fascinating. They're really really interesting stuff.
So in 2002, we get their third album, In Their Darkened Shrines. Now, when I was first getting into Nile, going back through their stuff, this was the album I initially, like, totally fell in love with. The lineup at this point is Carl Sanders, bass and vocals, Dallas Tolloway, sorry, Carl Sanders, guitar, bass and vocals, Dallas Tolloway, guitar, bass and vocals. So both of them took over bass duties for this album, and they teamed up with drummer, Tony Lorino, who had previously played on an Angel Corpse album and a few other things. Interestingly, now a um, drum tech for Megadeth. Also, um, live bassist John Vassano is... He, he does additional vocals on this album, um, but yeah, for whatever reason, wasn't able to play bass. And then regular... This is the first appearance of regular vocal contributor Mike uh, Brizelzi, or... Bizelli, um, who has worked with Carl Sanders on a lot of his solo stuff, as well as um, as well as appeared on I think every Nile album since this one. Um, yeah, and he he's he adds the really interesting. He's the as I mentioned before, the mad preacher voice, the intense kind of uh, speaker. Yeah, he adds these brilliant vocals. But this album uh, for me is still one of my all time favorites of Nile. It starts. In such a way, it clearly means business from the opening. With a brilliant sort of free track start to this album, of the Blessed Dead comes in with these like sort of combination of, like heavy ringing chords and these giant bursts of like choral synth, and then the track just pummels you for five minutes of absolutely excellent like brilliantly intricately written death metal you can tell the band is operating on a level of technicality way beyond what they were on the previous albums as you know ridiculous as that sounds um track two the execration text is this is i think one of the things that really sold me in the band was so this album has their first two music videos for this and the following track sarcophagus and watching the the work of so John Vazano is in the video playing with them, watching the work of these three guitarists just doing these intricately super fast picked riffs while seemingly having no issue doing their vocals as well. John Vazano as well is a head of a presence in that video. The the guy is an absolute beast. Like he's just got these ridiculous arms like he just looks so intensely terrifying with his like really low slung bass the whole thing is an absolute assault truly punishing and then you get sarcophagus the the absolute slowdown moment so this is what i really love in nile's sound is the fact they can they can do these properly shredding tech death songs but then they know when to slow down and do something simple. Like Sarcophagus is a very sort of simplistic song, but so deeply rooted in those kind of weird scales um, that Carl Sanders loves using so much. Uh, but yeah, just slow and epic with this amazing closing lead, this beautiful, like, very Egyptian-sounding harmony. Absolutely brilliant. There's some amazing surprises going further into the album as well, we get the ridiculous 12-minute epic of Yunus Slayer of Gods, like, to this day, one of the most epic and over-the-top 
songs I think this band has ever written. It goes through so many interesting movements. We get a lot of the kind of the pure death metal stuff, like the big guitar solo section in the middle feels very much like a traditional Nile song. But then some of the atmospheric breaks are really interesting. There's a great moment in it where uh, Tony gets to really show off doing this cool groove where he just speeds up with his feet slowly over like this atmospheric passage until like his full pelt kind of thing. Um, and it, yeah, it just really shows off just how fast he's having to play on this album. Um, then towards the end, we get this epic spoken word section of Eunice, like, ascend this, this kind of warrior who takes on gods, um, ascending to, like, basically godhood himself. Just an absolutely mind-blowing track, and I remember sort of coming across this uh, as a teenager and just never having heard death metal like this before and it's probably why you know I'm so primed going forth to like stuff like Mifras or Monolith Death Gold, the bands that truly look for the epic side of death metal but then we get some interesting other things in there like after like we they've done a lot of kind of messing around with the more out-there ideas. They have a couple of tracks which are far more to the point. Churning the Maelstrom is just, yeah, just three minutes of straight-ahead intense death metal, very much in the vein of the first album, but with this really, really cool solo that just keeps getting more intense as it goes. They really slow down the pace for I Whisper in the Ears of the Dead. Um, I remember... When I first heard this, like, sort of as a teenager listening to Sam, I never liked this track because it was just too slow and doomy, and I wasn't prepared for that. But that, that, that's the, the amazing dichotomy with these kind of Nihilams, where you have the, like, right into the kind of extreme doom end of things, and then tracks like Execration Decks, which are more intense and over-the-top, than most tech death could ever hope for be. Like, Niall, although, you know, they're listed as a brutal death metal band, they're very interesting, because I'd say they span the full wealth of pretty much every subgenre in death metal. They do kind of, you know, more traditional death metal in places. They do the death doom, they do the tech death, they do the really kind of guttural, brutal death metal, and they'll, they'll mix that all together in songs. And the real... Like skill there, I think, is that they make it flow. They make it feel natural. Like you, you listen to the, those first three tracks are all very different songs, but they just feel completely sensible to be following one after another. The album winds up in an interesting way, and it's not bad. But again, it, the album has that thing of like I would could never quite explain why Eunice Slayer of Gods wasn't the big closer. So we have at the end of the album the four part in their dark and strong. Strines, which is um, kind of like uh, on Ashes Against the Grain by um, Agalog. It had the similar thing to their, I think it's three-part closure on that, where it's like, okay, these are these are a couple of interesting ideas, and they're quite a departure from what you've done before. But the album's certainly peaked with these absolute sort of classic tracks you've got before it. But, you know, the the album's much longer than anything they've done before. It's almost an hour runtime, so it's cool they've got something interesting to to sort of bring it to a close. I guess so these the kind of dip in quality with these last four songs is the only reason I wouldn't hold In Their Dark and Shrines up as probably their best album. That coupled with the production is still a bit rough around the edges, you can tell. 
Nile haven't quite found the way to to get exactly the sound they want to, whereas with the next album, things are about to become extremely cemented. <laughs> Sanders has been doing more and more research into sort of traditional Middle Eastern melodies and instruments and we've seen lots of interesting instrumental passages appear on this studio albums with Nile. but around 2004 he released Saurian Meditations which is an album of essentially all the ideas he just didn't have space for on a um, on a proper proper Nile album. This, this is essentially a 10-track um, collection of those ideas, but if you enjoy those kind of moments, this is absolutely brilliant, I think. It's an amazing melding of 
those brilliant acoustic guitar passages, those folky bits, and of often combining the acoustic passages with some really excellent lead guitar playing. Um, officially in the band for this album, we have uh, Mike Brazizel uh, doing vocals uh, on the track, uh, particularly noticeable on the track of The Sleep of Ishtar. This song is this amazing nine minute long thing with these great soaring high clean vocals like Mike really goes for it singing wise on this and then a combination of like kind of light uh, ethereal kind of percussion elements gentle acoustic guitar and then some beautiful lead playing by Carl this is some like the most melodic solos you'll ever hear him do this album he really shines with a lot of his acoustic playing as well he's a really brilliant acoustic guitar player as well i think like carl has a lot of like sort of jazz training early on and clearly is one of those guitarists who can switch between acoustic and electric no problem he's equally skilled in both camps this album never truly gets heavy in tracks like uh the elder god shrine there is moments of like quite what you would think of of nile guitar like bits of heavy chords coming in but for the most part this is an atmospheric instrumental album, almost an hour long, and I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's it's not Nile, it's got a related element, but it's for a very, very different mood. But I'm really glad that Carl put these, this collection of stuff together, because I really love this element of Nile. And it sort of stopped him, you know, putting too much of that stuff in Nile. And it, as I say, the tracks like Of the Sleep of Ishtar, really really brilliant songs it's quite a fun uh song towards the end of the album the fit of an path across the chasm of self-realization where we get unmistakably dave vincent coming in doing this really bombastic spoken word piece like it's just so clearly his voice and you know testament to their friendship from the the early days of morbid angel and then nile uh yeah, I highly recommend picking this up if you enjoy any of those elements of Nile sound and want to explore them further.
so I was probably slightly wrong when I said Dallas joining the band was the real X factor for them. I think what truly did it is what comes now in 2005. So just before going to studio for their fourth album, Annihilation of the Wicked, Tony the drummer quits the band. John Vasano would record this album with them, but soon leave. But at the last minute, they were able to find Greek drummer George Kolias, who is like hands down like one of the top voted drummers in extreme metal there are one of the most popular well-loved he's many people's first introduction to the true like hyper speed blasting intensely complex drumming that you know you only find in the extreme end of death and black metal the guy was the perfect fit for this band so up until this point it always kind of felt like the drummers were just trying to keep up with the complex riffs Carl was throwing at them. But with George, it now felt like that dynamic was turned on his head. They, the, the band was struggling to keep up with the extreme intensity and complexity of what he was doing. So he, he'd been in like a few bands before joining, but nothing hugely noteworthy. No, I don't think any of them actually delved into outside of outside of Nile, but just he just was the perfect fit for this album. And so Annihilation of the Wicked, their fourth album, is universally agreed as the like you know, the fan favourite. It's the loved album. If anyone says you should check out Nile, it's always go to Annihilation of the Wicked first. Many episodes back, me and Rob did a um a whole exploration of how this and two other albums released in 2005, 2004 time completely changed the face of extreme metal like and uh, I, I can't like you can't overstate the importance of this album on death metal there is so many bands that have taken the sound and you know used it in whatever way it builds on a lot of the elements of the previous album but it just the intensity is turned up to 11 the but also there is this thing of it's suddenly clear. Like we can suddenly hear everything perfectly. Like whereas a lot of the, well, all the first three albums are kind of muddy. Um, this one is just perfect. It just the the mix is spot on, and it's something I can't say for the early albums. I like I don't love the mix of them, and I think a lot of this can be put down to um, the guy recording it, mixing and producing it, Neil Kernan. He was, this is the first album we did with Nile, and he was just a perfect fit for the band. Like, he got how to do their sound. And I wonder how much of this is George being a clearer drummer as well coming through, how much the increase in each band member's skill is showing. But with this album, Nile would found, find their sound. This is what they're going to sound like forever afterwards, more or less. Like, not... Not in a bad way, not in the kind of the band stagnated or stopped being interesting. I think they reached some incredible heights post this. Um, but this is, yeah, this is the, the, the genesis of the true Nile sound. The album opens with the instrumental Dusk Falls Upon the Temple of the Serpent. Um, and 
it's you know it's a short like acoustic guitar piece but it sends shivers down my spine whenever it kicks off i just you know you're in for something so special and then the album just hits you with incredible track after incredible track cast down the heretic is just this monumental piece of intense riffing and drumming with this huge guitar solo trade-off in the middle where actually a lot of times the most interesting thing about it is uh, George's drum performance, his like he did he, like the kind of signature thing in his, ha- his sound for me is the these super fast tom rolls he will just throw in at any given moment. His drumming, whereas I say the previous drummers have always been doing this kind of slightly repetitive blast beat, his drumming just is it, never like that. It's so complex, and it's where I like, Niall got that edge to the sound of like the truly chaotic nature. Not that the songs are kind of unfocused or anything like that. There's just so many elements. A lot of listeners, I think, find Later Nile just a hard band to process. Say, when I first uh, heard the single Sacrifice Under Sabic, it was just so much for me. I couldn't deal with it. We still get a lot of the stuff I really enjoy about Nile as well. After, you know, two tracks of real intensity, we get the much slower Use Your Matter Air um, and... Then there's, towards the end of the album, we get another instrumental track. We have two massive epics towards the end in the form of the title track and Von Unexpression Colton. Just brilliant stuff throughout. There's another live staple in the, the form of the shorter Lash to the Slay Stick. Just an really, really catchy. The thing as well is both vocalists, both Carl and... Um, Dallas have really found the sound they want to go for with their vocals. Dallas is clearer than ever, but still incredibly intense. Like I think these days it's got to be said, Dallas is one of the greats of extreme metal vocals. He He's just completely over the top and brutal, but still totally clear. It just has such an intensity to his voice. And I think of this album as well, we start, you're starting to see that he is such a great at vocals. Carl takes more of a back seat. He has less lines throughout the album. And, and I think that works really well for it. Also on this, like probably off the back of doing that um, that kind of interlude album before this, Carl's credited with a few more instruments here. The Baglama and the Bazooki on this. Like Carl will regularly experiment with a lot of different instruments throughout his sort of career of Nile really chasing getting that traditional like Egyptian uh Middle Eastern folky sound with with what they're doing um and Mike Brazizel once again makes another guest appearance like giving some exorcism chants apparently just this the, the album is absolutely brilliant it's it's a truly mind-blowing release for me, it's actually not one of my favourite Nile albums. I know, don't don't <laughs> don't chase me down with pitchforks. I think it's brilliant, but I, I'm such a fan of this band. Like there are other albums that have clicked with me slightly more, but I still fully accept this is the most important Nile album. This is the one that had the impact. This is the one where Carl and Co discovered a sound that was truly unique and would become so legendary in death metal from then onwards. I won't dwell on this much more because, as I've said, like me and Rob did an episode quite a while back where we focused on this in such detail, like I'm just going to be repeating myself. 
but this would probably be a good chance to um, talk about some of the other elements I think are really important to Nile Sound. So, because this is a much bigger band than a lot of what we usually cover, there's an absolute wealth of information out there about Nile, about like their influences, their they kind of the interesting stuff they do with guitars and so on. So I kind of wanted to delve into some of the guitar stuff. If hopefully that's not too boring. Um, so as it, it's probably obvious from the complexity of their music and the originality of it in many ways, that Carl is extremely well trained in music theory. You know, he's quite an old guy now. Like he he had quite a few years doing music before he formed Nile. Like he was in his mid twenties when when Nile got going. So he's bringing a wealth of skills to the table. I remember hearing an interview ages ago where he said, like, he when he first formed the band, he asked his guitar teacher, like, oh, I want to make these riffs sound really Egyptian. What scale can I use? And his guitar teacher didn't have a good answer for it. So actually, he spent a lot of time creating his own scales, which probably turned out to be other existing ones, but he would make up strings of notes and go, like, that has the feel I'm after. Around the time of this album, he started using a couple of guitars, which he doesn't use anymore, but if you've never seen them, these are so worth looking up, because they are ridiculous instruments. And another part of why I found the Sacrifice and the Sebek video funny. So, he had a guitar he called the Spear of Destiny, he's playing in um, uh, that, that video, which is a, a kind of golden flying V where the headstock is this giant spike this it like tapers to this point to this like I think the headstock's almost a foot long it's this ridiculous piece of equipment but on this album as well I believe it's on this album I know it definitely comes into play a lot on the follow-up he also has this incredible double-necked version of it where the second guitar is a fretless 11-string in drop-A tuning, which he uses to do those huge slides, that kind of great noise he keeps, like he uses throughout a lot of Niles' music. I don't believe he uses this guitar for them anymore. I think he's moved to his more standard Deans. But, they, yeah, this, this guitar certainly was dynamically a really interesting thing to bring to the band. But as well as that, it is one of the most ridiculous-looking instruments I've ever seen. The two-headed version of the Spear of Destiny is just such an over-the-top guitar. Like I mentioned as well, they're sort of using drop-A tuning for a lot of what they're doing. Um, it's, it just adds that level of extremely low intensity. They're a band as well that, I don't know if you've ever seen them live, but I've always noticed they seem to be real sticklers for getting exactly the right sound, having everything working properly. Like, a couple of gigs I've been to, um, Carl's been having a real kind of fraught time with, like, the sound guy trying to get the, uh, the, <laughs> the equipment working properly. One particular time in Cardiff, I remember this almost descended into chaos with a really awful club that's, thank God, now shut down called Bogey's Rock Club, where you could see, at one point, I could see through to the backstage lounge, and there was these great, like, black puddles of water on the floor throughout, like, it was, it was one of the most dreadful venues I've ever been in, but the the support band, who I think was Spark Crown, was having real trouble getting the vocals to work properly. And Dallas ended up coming out on stage and having this proper shouting match with the sound guy. Um, 
who was refusing to get things working. And it eventually ended up with the sound guy sort of saying, like, well, you know, you're just going to put up with that. That's what you're doing. That's what that's what we've got. And this this the, the guy then forgetting he was firstly audible and in a room full of dedicated Nile fans. Uh, I've never seen quite such a suicidal move. But eventually, sound worked and they were absolutely fantastic. But yeah, this, it this speaks to like this interesting perfectionism the band has and there's a lot of stuff in their guitar design that reflects this um so now nowadays the band use these uh seven string dean like flying v's and you may notice they look a bit odd because they have no volume knobs or tone knobs there's no knobs on the guitar at all they are always on at full volume um and carl controls everything through pedals i think the theory both carl and dallas had was this might result in like less interference with the signal i'm not sure if there's any truth or anything like that but it certainly means nile have always had this interesting appearance on stage i mean at the time of annihilation the wicked it's quite interesting because there was this sort of media-based rivalry between them and behemoth and it's it's funny because behemoth have always had the massive flamboyant stage show i mean these days is tipped over into near pantomime, but you know, at the time it was quite intense. Whereas Nile, it's a bit more simplistic than stripped down, like you know, it's just dudes in jeans and t-shirt. But the equipment they have with him, I with them, I always found fascinating. They have these weird-looking guitars, they always have these massive rigs of like all sorts of interesting bits of amplifiers and so on. It's yeah, it they're a band who really shelved with the technical stuff. Another really interesting thing I found about their newer guitars, I'm not sure if it's true of the older one. I've never seen this before, and it might be a common thing I'm just ignorant of. Carl has these, like, scooped frets on them, so rather than it being a flat wooden neck, it's each, between each fret, there is, like, a, you know, a kind of U-shape cut out of the wood. Um, Carl says, so this is, so you'll just, you just have to depress the string to touch the metal of the fret. You'd, you're never pushing down into the wood, which is is interesting. Yeah, as I say, I've not hugely seen that used in um, in metal before. But yeah, the, the, there's a lot of innovation. I I think they almost don't get credited with. They're very um, interesting musicians in terms of gear and setup. Like that, by the point of Annihilation, of the Wicked, they had come up with this fantastic guitar tone. Um, and it, it's something their tone would more or less sit in that pocket for forever onwards. I think with this album, Carl discovered what he wanted to do sound-wise, and he finally got the equipment, finally got the you know recording engineer who could make this sound, and you know they recreate it live fantastically.
So for 2007's Iffy Phallic, uh, the only real change is a move from Relapse Records to Nuclear Blast Records. We still have the same core power trio of Dallas Tolawade, George Colias, and Carl Sanders all doing what we've seen before. Uh, interestingly, Dallas takes over sole bass duties on this album, and this is the point where we'd see a string of different live bass players for the band until they eventually settled on like a permanent one inside recording studio albums with them again. Um, otherwise, though, it's another Neil Kernan mix, and in many ways, it's the obvious follow-up to Annihilation of the Wicked. This one will always hold a special place in my heart, I think, because... It was the album of Niles that was released while I was a fan. It was the first time they'd put something new out. And I remember just being massively excited about it when it came out and just playing it to all my friends. The album starts in this really fun way with what may safely be written. Sorry, what can safely be written with these great bombastic kind of uh, Middle Eastern horns. Um, and then George comes in with this ridiculously fast double kick passage under the horn section and then we go into this real nasty death metal track all about the you know the dangers of seeing Thulean deities the way they would destroy your mind by the sheer vastness of their being incredibly intense stuff uh, there's so many things I really love about this album. On tracks like uh, I Phallic and Eat of the Dead, we get these great, the, those slides I was talking about on the fretless guitar, these huge, like, these slides that just seem to go on forever, and these massive, like, bended notes that just sound so intense and so perfectly Nile. No one else does that. Um, there, there's a fun... Uh, ridiculously long song title let's see if i can do this from memory papyrus containing the spell to preserve the possessor against attacks from he who is within the water ah oh, no i was about one word off anyway um yeah that, that particular track mentioned i believe was released as a single and much like uh execration text back off in their darkened shrines it's the it's the face melter it's the what on earth are they playing riff um absolutely ludicrous like shredding but then that's directly followed by eat of the dead where things slow down to this apocalyptic crawl about um a character getting wisdom from consuming dead bodies and it's so epic and it's so perfectly placed for like both carl and dallas to use the lower and the vocals do these ludicrous like uh low screams and even like these like the noises sort of car makes towards the end of the song, which I wouldn't even call death metal vocals, but it's these really strange vocalizations. I think this is an album, I don't know why this is one of their I just obsess over, and I think there's moments of it that are kind of forgotten, which are just truly brilliant. A track that really stands out to me is The Essential Salts, track seven. I think it's one of the best they like, Nile have ever put together. It's it's kind of a short song, but it, it's this amazing kind of mixture of early on the kind of really intense riffing, some amazing stuff by uh, George on the drums, and then Later in the song, we get this brilliant kind of lead guitar moment, a la um, a sarcophagus, maybe, but 
but the difference between what they do, like it's a really melodic kind of beautiful lead guitar passage, but George's drum patterns underneath it, these super fast rolls up and down the toms, which make it that bit more complex and weird. It's just as a track, it's so perfectly structured. Um, and then Infinity, the Infinity of Stone, is this really epic kind of instrumental. It is one like the way that comes out of Essential Salts and in, into the Language of Shadows is one of the most perfectly deployed instrumentals I think the band have ever done. Um, and then the album closes in monumental fashion with Even the Gods Must Die, which starts these uh, more of the epic kind of horns, and then this slow, trudging, hefty kind of doom death song, which ends in this ridiculously long, drawn-out guitar solo of like a kind of folky passage, loads of the uh, Carl's signature, like huge, like sweeping bends. Um, yeah, just amazing stuff. I'm going to spoil it forever now for you, though um, if you've not noticed this before, and this weird demographic overlap, I guess, if you've ever seen Aquatine Hunger Force, um, the intro music to this sounds really like the intro music to Dr. Weird's Lab. Like, if you yeah, look up the clip of Dr. Weird, um, and then look up this track, uh, it's, it's incredibly similar. Uh, yeah, this album, uh, much like Annihilation of the Wicked, I think has slightly less of a focus on the kind of the instrumental interludes. There's less of that than we saw on, say, like Black Seas of Vengeance. And I wonder if that's partially Carl getting more of that out of his system with his uh, solo albums. But as I say, If You Phallic is a real kind of monumental album of theirs I, I like i really think it holds up perfectly to what they were doing on annihilation of the wicked and if you enjoy annihilation of the wicked a lot i'd say it's absolutely essential listening it's probably even more of a very listen with than that album but with similarly that structurally perfect nature where nothing feels out of place or like it was thrown in for the sake of it hold on, no, no.
2009, we get two more albums from Carl Sanders, the second of his uh, solo albums, much more in the same vein as the first. This is uh, Soaring Exorcisms. It, it's just really solid stuff, like way more of the very soundtracky elements of... Um, of Nile sound, like re- like loads of great use of stringed instruments, acoustic guitar, kind of weird percussion and chanting. The thing I think I didn't mention previously, Carl Sanders is the main musician behind these. He does all the drumming and percussion, or at least the the vast majority of it, and then just gets in the odd guest musician. Actually, this one doesn't really feature any. We'll just get Mike back for some more um, additional vocals, but. Otherwise, yeah, it's just Carl. And it's really epic music. It's very good if you if you want something non-distracting. sort of These albums are fantastic to put on because they just sort of set an atmosphere and tone. And there are great bits to latch into, like, onto in there with like, moments of brilliant acoustic guitar stuff and so on. But they're not... Um, they're not as obviously completely overwhelming as uh, as a proper Nile album, but the other release this year is the monumental "Those Whom the Gods Detest." This is, for my money, far and away the best Nile album. I think it's just like death metal perfection. There is so much to this album that is monumental. So, much like the previous album, there is basically no change. Same lineup, same producer, still Nuclear Blast. It's, you know, all the elements are in place. Like, Nile have set themselves up, essentially, to make their best ever album. They, they have more resources at their disposal than ever, and they have made something truly epic. You know it's going to get real with an opener like Kafir, so, it, this song is their their sort of attempt at, you know, rather than attacking Christianity, we're going to do a different religion. I think he, Carl said he took inspiration from um, Exodus's Children of a Worthless God, but um, attacked the Muslim faith in a far more intelligent way than that quite ham-fisted attempt by Exodus. So, the whole song is based around this... Uh, this sort of Muslim chant of there is no God but God, but his fun kind of messing with that is to have the chant cut early, so it's just repeatedly chanting uh, there is no God, and then <laughs> then having the final refrain on like the fourth time through. It, this song is just punishing, like the drumming and riffing throughout is just completely blew me away when I first heard it, and I was used to Nile at this point, but even so, this album... Just, yeah, completely threw me when I first heard it. I just couldn't believe like, the intensity of it. Like, later in this track, we get ridiculous stuff. Like, they've mixed the call of prayer into this huge, epic instrumental section. Credibly blasphemous, but I think really well executed. And the album just continues on with absolutely classic Nile tracks. Uh, the second track, the Hittite Dung Incantation, features some of, like, some of the more thrashing riffing from them. It's got a real, like, a real cool kind of, like, shreddy, like, almost like Megadeth Rust in Peace era feel in places, which is these really, really awesome repeating, like, lead guitar licks. And then, like, there's just the great thing of, like, post the solo, everything dropping out to one guitar playing the super fast riff with the drums just doing these quick stabs building into the massive ending. Yeah, it really, really great track, and much like Kathir, amazing to uh, 
to witness live. We then get some more epic Annihilation of the Wicked style moments towards the middle of the album with the, the, the lengthy Those Whom the Gods Detest, which features these epic choral backing vocals on the, the chanting of the title of the album. Um, and then we get the like the plodding, doomy, horrendous fourth Ara Dagon. Um, yeah, again, another amazing one. And really good to witness live that that chant of the Ara Ara. Yeah, really, just absolutely brilliant. At this point, you know, we're half an hour into the album. There's not been a foot put wrong. Then we get to the single uh, permitting the noble dead to descend into the underworld which is a more to the point like Nile song, like a perfect choice for a single, but features a really interesting uh, technique I'd never heard before of um, the chorus has these these weird high notes which could never place what the hell was happening. And apparently it's um, harmonising harmonics, which is, I don't, uh, apparently that's a thing you can do. I don't think I even quite conceptually understand it. And the album just continues being great to the close. We're like towards the end of the album, we get the, the amazing um, Eye of Ra, which is a, another one of tracks like Essential Salts, which I feel is kind of forgotten, but just absolutely brilliant. And a nice touch with this is there's a series of guest vocalists, so uh, original drummer Peter Mura and original bass player Chief Spires are back doing guest vocals, as well as uh, John Vasano, so showing there's no bad blood with a lot of their, their ex-members, like, getting them in for these these great, like group vocal passages and the the kind of the way the vocals are done on this album is absolutely incredible i've always thought niall were masterful in their vocal arrangements the the just the constant like sort of attack coming from different sides of these different voices that the having free vocalist thing has added to their sound so greatly but yeah this for me i would say is the like the essential start point with niall it's so immediate and just the perfect distillation of what they do the album as well is really cool it comes in a um a box that's like it's got this weird like old paper feel to it, it yeah it's just a really cool package um yeah and it just with out an ounce of fat an hour in length i've also got the um the dvd of the making of this and a really interesting thing i discovered which again blew me away considering the technicality of apparently carl always records these songs in one sitting he won't unless there is a point where the guitar stops playing he won't do punch-ins on a guitar track so for a track like um kaffir he has to play the first three minutes of it note perfect or it's not going on the album and that just yeah blows me away like not doing any kind of cut-ins or stuff like that it just you know ridiculous professional to the point of mad self-flagellation apparently
So I've said for a long time that I believe Nile to be probably the most consistent band in death metal. I, I really think almost every one of their albums is worthy of a great deal of praise. But I would say the next two are the sort of the most into the wilderness they go for me. Like So with 2012, they put out uh, At the Gate of Sefu. And this is probably the Nile album I listen to the least. It's got a bit of a weird tone to it. I think... Um, after a lot of people complaining that um, Carl uh, was it was impossible to follow what his guitars were doing in an album, he tried to make the guitar really clear on this. So there's a thing with this album of it loses some of the intensity. And for a while I'd been writing this album off as not great, but um, sort of revisiting it in the listening to this, it's really catchy. It might well be the catchiest album they've ever done. Now, whether Nile are a band that necessarily should be, I don't know. But you know, tracks like The Inevitable Degradation of Flesh, like, it, it is a proper earworm. And, and actually, yeah, in hindsight, this is still, you know, proper 7 out of 10 album. It's loads it, of these tracks I would love if I caught them live. I, and the album is really enjoyable. I think that that choice of tone was was an odd, odd thing to go with. But it's interesting, and it certainly means this album stands out in the Nile catalogue. It sounds very different to the three predecessors, and actually anything that followed. Yeah, it, it, it's not one I've got a great deal to say about, because it is, you know, more or less other than that changing guitar tone and the kind of slight kind of simplifying in places. It's, it's more or less the same thing. I guess what it lacks is it doesn't have a truly kind of monumental moment. Um, the final track, The Chaining of the Inequitous, is really cool, like, and it does have a bit more of a build to it, but it it's not in the vein of even the gods must die. It's not... It, it doesn't get to that truly epic place. The, the other thing with this album is it's the first... It has the first total miss in terms of an instrumental track in years for the band. Track 5, Slaves Dissolved, just feels totally pointless like it's just this kind of weird vocal noises over some like repetitive percussion it just you know, doesn't sit well at all the album though does feature some of mike's best guest like high pitch amazing vocals over the top of it like there's some really cool moments of him cutting through yeah definitely an album if you've not listened to it in years i think well worth revisiting because i actually had a really fun time Going back to it. Now it'd be a bit of a while before Niall's next album. as This is the point where I started seeing them live loads. Um, so they toured like mad and, and would continue over, you know, the next eight years to tour con like consistently. And uh, I think can be put down to, you know, a lot of their success. Um, but yeah, like... It took them quite a while to get to their um, eighth album, What Should Not Be Unearthed. Um, this album, again, it is very similar to um, to a lot of them before. It's, it's still Nuclear Blast. It, they go back to the tone they had on um, uh, Those Whom the Gods Detest like after the, you know, they had kind of a unhappy reaction to, um, to their previous album. The thing with this album is, I say for me that listening to all of them together, like I have been, um, 
this is the one that leaves me most cold. Again, it's still a really solid album. It's got a lot to be praised on it. But it's the one, it's the most to-the-point brutal album I think they've done since the first one. Like, they do not mess around on most of these songs. It, it's just a lot of incredibly intense... Um, punishing death metal tracks it's all this this album sits very neatly in the brutal death metal vein like there's no um uh, papyrus containing the spell etc like total face melter the kind of you know the thrashy crazy lead guitar bit and there's no even gods must die slow down to a cruel like doomy in like apocalyptic song it all sits in that vein of like uh, actually kind of a lot like the previous album but just with a more intense production real standouts from this like Dallas's vocal performance on a lot of songs like What Should Not Be Unearthed and Evil to Cast Out Evil is really catchy and doing that thing where he can go crazily fast like seeming seemingly like shouldn't be possible while still getting massive enunciation and power into his vocals like his vocal performance in this thing is the real standout but yeah as I say like listening to it over the last week or so I found it's left me a bit more cold than the others and maybe I've just not been in the headspace for it it has got some great things about it I think it might be uh, my favourite Nile cover it's like genius in its simplicity of this big like uh, triangle kind of like tomb lid on the floor which has all around it these kind of like swarms of insects clearly trying to not touch the the center triangle I, I think it's a really yeah really potent image and and i think it, this was one that was well received by fans and particularly like taking these songs out of context in a live set they work fantastically it's just in in terms of a whole album a whole 50 minutes of this i felt yeah, I, I sort of lost interest in it more than I had other albums of theirs. So another album that might be interesting to a lot of Nile fans that came out around this time on Seasons of Mist was George Collias. Is it Collias or Collias? I'm never sure how to pronounce his surname. Um, did uh, the whole solo album. And the amazing thing, putting most of us musicians to shame, is he performed vocals, drums, guitar, bass and keyboards on this. So kind of behind the scenes, I don't believe he'd ever done any of these things for another band. He's, before or since, never done vocals with Niall, but this album sort of completely blindsided me. I wasn't expecting anything like this. It's interesting because the album is essentially a kind of... It, it's in the vein of Niall's like music. Actually, almost closer to um, Behemoth's uh, Demigod. That kind of epic Middle Eastern melodies over more mid-paced, like, melodic death metal with some kind of black metal sensibility in places. George has this great voice. It's it's much, much higher than the average sort of Nile vocal, but it's this cool kind of raspy scream. Um, and then the album is peppered with, like, loads of guest solos. I don't believe he plays any of the lead. It's, he gets, like, 20 odd guest guitar no I think it's I think it's only about seven guest guitarists like both Dallas and Carl appear on it and lots of other people from the various other projects he's been in like if you look through his metal archives George has been in tons of other projects over the years where like often just like recording drums for a band um 
but yeah, so he's he's always been like the busiest member of Nile, like having a lot more kind of side things going on to really tie us back to Nile. It has uh, like an atmospheric intro uh, with Mike Brazil doing a big speech in the start of it. it. Yeah, it's it's a really cool album. Um, possibly a touch overly long at an hour, but there's just just great stuff in it. the The title track Invictus is incredibly catchy. And there's an interesting in the way he um, distinguishes his drum performance from Nile, and this is it doesn't have that kind of frantic nature he has in Nile so much. A lot of like the tom rolls and stuff he does in this are a lot slower and more deliberate, more um, more kind of uh, invoking of atmosphere rather than going for this kind of fast blasting chaos. But it. You know, there's still moments where this gets really heavy. It still certainly has a brutality to it. Despite being more melodic, I'd still put it in the camp of... The way it's not in the camp of melodic death metal is far heavier than that. Yeah, just a really interesting release. And so impressive that this guy is, you know, also a totally solid guitarist on top of being undisputably one of the drumming greats of death metal. It's... Uh, utterly ridiculous.
so uh, like the sort of next big developments for the, the band are um Brad Paris, who's been doing live bass and vocals for him for a while, eventually gets invited to join the band uh, full time. But then, um, and then there's a couple of intensive years of touring at like another period where I saw a hell of a lot of Nile. Um, the yeah, the unthinkable ha- happens, and Dallas Toller Wade quits the band. It's all things all seem a bit weird from their social media of like. Carl gives quite a non-committal, like, leaving statement. Just, yeah, apparently, you know, it appears they just sort of drifted apart, didn't want to both be doing it anymore. But I must say, like, I hearing Dallas had left the band and knowing what an essential part of the band he'd been for, you know, nigh on 20 years at this point, um, I refuse to believe they would ever put out another truly great album. I just, I really did write them off and um i have to say i was totally wrong so um they they picked up uh incredibly talented uh guitarist and vocalist brian kingsland who sort of said he got the job just because he lived near them but it and he was the most he was the only person in that radius that um that could do those parts but he steps up and you know, Dallas has impossible shoes to fill. But, um, you know, if you heard our um, end of year special, he does it. Like, the the like, ninth uh, Nile Studio album, Vile Niotic Rites, is incredible. It's absolutely on par with their real highlight albums. So it's another one on Nuclear Blast. It was released November last year. But there's a big change of Neil Kernan's not involved this time. So we have um, Carl Sanders doing producer and re- like recording work as long as as well as uh, mixing and mastering by longtime professional Mark Lewis, and it just um, it has the best sound. I think this having spent a lot more time with it now, I think this has the best tone. Uh, Nile have ever had uh they really took their time in the writing of this is the longest longest gap between any Nile album uh i think four and a half years between this and the last uh they said they put spent two years in the writing for this i'm not sure if um if uh, brian was a part of the band for all of that but what's really interesting with this is it's not just carl steering the ship in this one every member of the band is bringing their writing to the table. Interestingly, something I hadn't mentioned up to this point is um, so a lot of Niall's songs are constructed with Carl writing the kind of lyrics first and being like, right, I want something to fit with this. So he had all these songs and then different members of the band would bring their own ideas. Like obviously George being a seasoned guitarist as well was able to to you know, add his own writing in there in terms of guitar as well as drums. I think normally they say the process is Carl would write some lyrics. Normally Carl, but maybe another member would come up with a series of riffs for them. They construct that into a kind of template and then send that to George to put his own drums on and go back and forth between a lot of a lot of demos um, and eventually come to these you know, ridiculously complex songs. Although Carl still has a lion's share of the writing on this, like. Brad's got uh, credits on three tracks, uh, Brian on five, which is immensely brave considering, you know, 
he was probably the most judged man in metal in 2019, you know. Really, yeah, <laughs> not expecting him to be, you know, as incredible as he is. His, his vocals, um, he possibly even has a more impressive vocal range than Dallas Toller Wade. I don't know if he quite has the same intensity, but it, yeah, it, Dallas was suitably replaced with this, and it, it's, it's amazing. The album has... All the dynamics I really want from Nile. We get um, we get an odd choice of opener in Long Shadows of Dread, where it's one of their more apocalyptic slow songs to start the album off, but just one that is just laden with immense groove. Um, something that became really obvious to me very quickly is how good the drums sound on this album. So unsurprisingly, George has to trigger his kicks he's always had trigger kicks but something I'd, again i've not mentioned up to this point is i've always quite liked his kick drum sound i'm normally not the biggest fan of like heavily triggered kicks but like he's one of the best out there for just getting a great tone out of out of having the the, the kit set up like that it does sound that bit more natural i mean you can tell it is but you yeah, it has to be playing that fast, and if you, unless you want to descend into that kind of wolves in the throne room, distant rumble of thunder, it's got to be triggered to to make that good sound. And um, and yeah, he's he's found a way to get an incredible tone out of it, and it's just getting better and better on this one. The second track has one of my favourite Nile song titles in a while: the Oxford the Oxford Handbook of Savage Genocidal Warfare kind of attack on uh, a lot of the um, English's horrible uh history with uh pillaging and looting famous artifacts uh, there's some amazing stuff later on in the album i really enjoy the the track seven horns of war that has this amazing um second half after a more traditional nile first half this amazing second half of this huge spoken word section which really loudly features the phrase abomination of desolation which must be a nod toward morbid angel um, there's some really cool bits of like synth lines in places in uh, that which is forbidden revel in their suffering have some amazing kind of yeah bits that just stick out by layering some some cool extra synths or moments of like epic clean vocals in the imperishable stars a second and they're a band with when they drop in clean vocals it doesn't feel like They've copped out and done something lighter. It, it almost just adds to the intensity because it's just more to focus on. Yeah, this this album is just Nile working at their absolute best. It it is much like uh, those whom the gods detest. There's just no fat on it. It has the brilliant variety. We have like the shreddy one in the form of snake pit mating frenzy. Yet another absolutely brilliant song title. Um, we Are Cursed, the final track, is the perfect ending to the album. It's this great melding of tech death and epic doom metal with these really like tasteful drum fills throughout it. Uh, choral keyboard notes it, like at the back of it just fit absolutely perfect. Without ever like... Um, where everything like silly or over the top. There's something, uh, again, I've not mentioned too much earlier in this, that Niall seemed to be able to add these these elements of like folk and traditional Middle Eastern themes and kind of more epic kind of 
uh, almost orchestral synths without it ever feeling pompous or silly. They never they never descend into the the Dimmy Borgia or but later behemothisms where you know it's kind of a bit laughable and it loses the harsh edge. Like they always strike that perfect balance of still having an immense extremity beyond everything else. That's the first thing you take from any of their songs is like it's just immediately fuck that was intense and then then you'll notice other multiple listens you'll pick out more stuff i'd say so if this is your your first delving into nile like after listening to this episode is don't be afraid to give the albums two or three listens if they're not something you got straight away this is an incredibly high level of complexity i've heard many people complain that the latest album is just beyond them in terms of like the amount of tension they can give at any one moment. Personally, I, I I absolutely love it, but I know I like kind of chaotic, over the top music, and this is Nile turning that absolutely up to eleven. I won't dwell on this one much more because, as I say, like we we covered it on the end of the year episode. You can tell both me and Rob absolutely love it, and yeah, completely flawed. Like I wasn't expecting it to. I wasn't expecting it to, you know, make its way into the pantheon of, like, I'd I'd struggle not to put this in the top three Nile albums for me now. Like, I, yeah, the the, the heretic I am thinking this this might even, you know, outdo Annihilation of the Wicked now. But maybe that's just because I'm newer to it. Maybe maybe in a couple of years' time I'll, I'll, you know, relent on that or what. But it's something I was just so happy when it came out because it... Totally lived up to expectations, and Nile for me have retained their crown of easily the most consistent band in death metal. Like I'd say in their catalogue, they have six near essential purchase albums, and the other three albums are all great. They're all easily seven out of ten plus. But yeah, those six just absolutely monumental. I've got not got a huge amount more to say on the band. Um, uh, one uh, one fun bit of trivia about them I found is um, Carl Sanders is the um, the first ever entry or uh, ad, like for artists added to uh, Metal Archives. Uh, obviously, Metal Archives are a resource I use very heavily when uh, when doing the these episodes. And mind blowingly, the man is fifty six at the moment. He I don't know how he is still you know, at the top of his game, innovating and adding to death metal in his 50s. Like, he's he's releasing albums more intense than most younger bands could ever imagine. I mean, obviously, he's now backed up by some monumentally good players, and that really helps. But yeah, he's still, like, an intense individual. You know, and terrifying guy as well, like a highly skilled martial artist as well. He's been a fun one to watch in a lot of these interviews as well because he's a very, very bright man. Like, he's incredibly well-read, hence the massively in-depthness of their lyrics, um, their being able to write those huge essays on so many of the songs. But if you look up any of his interviews, he is normally so baked in them that he is always sort of, like, giggly and silly while still being really erudite and uh, intelligent. Like... Yeah, it's incredible because, as I was saying, like they're like he always comes across on stage as a very serious person who always wants to get stuff exactly to his liking. But 
the one thing he will do is he'll often uh, go on stage, you know, quite high. Like, a lot of these interviews I was watching was with him pre-performing live, and, uh, and yeah, he'll go in some, like, totally baked, which is, yeah, amazing. Um, they're amazing. He can still have that level of focus. Maybe he's just... There's just so much going on upstairs. He needs that just to calm things down a bit. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of him. Um, like, along with, like, a lot of what we, we've we been talking about here, he has some amazing other stuff we've not really mentioned. The, the guy has been throughout all sorts of bands doing great guest solos over the years. And, he, you know, he has that super unique guitar style, so you can tell when Carl's dropped in. Like, um, him on... Uh, uh, Zol by Behemoth on the um, Demigod is is just probably one of my favourite lead guitar moments on any Behemoth song. It's really amazing. And yeah, he's got so many kind of cool bands he's worked with over the years. Stuff like uh, he, he's played with Grave, he's played with Morbid Angel, um, all sorts of cool stuff and has those amazing solo albums. Yeah, I just, I'm really happy to see Nile are a band absolutely in their prime at this point in time. I'm really hoping I can get to see them live once, you know, we're all allowed out again um, with this new lineup because they seem to be really, you know, performing at the best of the game. So I don't imagine any of you are totally new to Nile at this point, but if, say, you've only spent time with Annihilation the Wicked or maybe only their early material, I highly encourage you to go out and check out some of those other albums. I really, I really think they're a band you can just put pick any random point of their discography and find something really interesting and noteworthy. Like, actually, with I think there is a point of... There's about five albums of theirs that are so different from each other, it's well worth having heard the whole loss of, because you're kind of missing out if you haven't. This isn't this isn't a band like, say, Cannibal Corpse, who have just been, you know, finally polishing the formula every time, or, or Vader, or something like that, where, you know, their albums are all great, but you could probably miss one or two because there's not going to be that many surprises on them. I always find with Nile there's something I wasn't expecting on an album, something new and exciting they've added to the formula each time. So, yeah, go go out and check out some more of them. And, yeah, hit me up and let me know what your favourite Nile albums are. I think, as I said, for me, the ones that sit really highly are Those Whom the Gods Detest, uh, Iffy Phallic, uh, in the Darkened Shrines, Vile, and um, Annihilation. But, you know, there are other great ones in there. Like, I, yeah, I could accept realistically any of them being your favourite. So, yeah, get in touch. Uh, Phil's Breakfast Metal at facebook.com, uh, at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, or if you want to write something a bit longer, Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com. Yeah, thanks a lot for listening. <laughs> <laughs>